Fab Lab Podcast. Time to lead. Coronavirus edition. Welcome to the Fab Lab, the stone industry's only podcast dedicated exclusively to the business side of your stone shop, where we focus on improving operations inside the business so we can experience more life outside of it. So let's get down to business. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Aaron Crowley here with the Fab Lab Podcast, uh, special edition today, new episode, wouldn't have typically done this, uh, recorded it or posted it on Monday, March 16th, but in lieu of events going on in the country right now and around the world, I uh, wanted to just share with you some thoughts. Uh, last night was a turning point for me, I left work on Friday, still somewhat suspicious of uh, of just how overblown this coronavirus was a little bit dubious, not taking it that seriously, thinking, you know, our schedule's booked out far enough. This is, I think this is political. I think this is overblown. But over the course of the weekend and an extensive amount of reading that I did last night, and I honestly, into the morning, I came to a very different conclusion. Not necessarily that I've concluded whether it's real or not, uh, but I think I have come to the point of realizing that no matter what, the effects of what's currently happening could possibly impact our business. I know it's impacting my team, and so that was my decision last night. Number one was to get the team together this morning and actually confront this directly and talk about it directly uh, to get a game plan together and to plan, uh, to prepare for the worst, hoping that it doesn't occur, but being of the mindset, getting the team on the same page and preparing, beginning to get real specific in terms of what things we can do uh, in preparation so that in the event that uh, this thing continues to decline in terms of uh, just the, the the consumer confidence, the stock market, if that makes its way down to the uh, the retail level where people are remodeling homes, building homes, and having countertops installed, we need to be ready for that. And so I thought in addition to talking to my crew, I would talk with you. And so Ladies and gentlemen, I put some thoughts together uh, today. Six essential steps for leading your team and company through this coronavirus. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. I think there's two things I would start with. Number one, we don't want to overreact. But at the same time, we don't want to underreact. You know, uh, those that plan are going to be in a much better position to weather this storm if it becomes a storm. And so, I put six ideas together. If you've listened to the podcast long enough, you might recall that uh, I started the company in 1998. And so I had the, uh, at least looking back now, I had the benefit of having been through the Great Recession. And as I told our company this morning, in terms of some of the decisions that I intend to make very differently, this, you know, in the event that this becomes another economic decline. Um, we, we made so many mistakes in the Great Recession and responding to it. In fact, I said, we even created and invented some new mistakes that hadn't even been made yet. We, we made a lot of mistakes, and the benefit of that was that we've got that perspective now um, and, and a much clearer understanding of the, big, the business and the metrics, how to plan, how to not overreact, we're not jumping the gun, but to begin to be ready so that if things decline precipitously, we're not caught off guard and we're not scrambling and we're not you know, stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what to do when events have truly overtaken us and are uh, are swirling around us. And so I've got six principles, six steps, six essential things you need to do to lead your team and your company into and through this coronavirus pandemic, this um, this 
virus that's sweeping the world. And so number one, this is just a reminder. This is a realization. This is the reality. Those of us in leadership positions, those of us who own companies, those of us who lead companies, those of us who manage departments or lead a crew, that position comes with a certain amount of authority and it comes with a certain amount of mystique. The people that report to us, the people that work to us, not because of who we are, but because of the positions that we hold, are looking to us for leadership. That's, that's this way, we're looking up, you know, we're looking to the governors, what are you going to do? We're looking to the president, what are you going to do? And people are looking to us in the same way. What are you going to do, Aaron? What are you going to do, fellow fabricator? I'll ask you that question. Are we going to step up and lead? Are we going to stick our head in the sand and hope that it blows over? And so people are looking to us. People are anxious. People are worried. They're seeing all these news reports. They're seeing shells bare. And people are wondering if they're going to have a job. I just had a sales rep come in and tell me that her daughter just heard that they're closing the restaurants and bars and she's not going to have a job. And I think people are wondering the same thing about their positions here in the company. So this is the time to stand up, embrace the role, embrace the leadership responsibility that we are fortunate uh, to have in this time and to own it. So what does that mean? Well, I think the plans are, are really the essence of leadership. If we're going to embrace it, if we're going to confront it, if we're going to deal with it, if we're going to lead through it, what is it that we're going to do? That's the next five steps. And so we're going to just get right into these for the sake of time. Number one, if you listen to episode 74, The Canary in the Coal Mine, you'll be a little more familiar with this, but your quote volume is a leading indicator. Your closed sales are a leading indicator. So right out of the gate, what's interesting we're, we've got a huge lead time right now. We're booked through April and about halfway into May right now. An, an abnormally large lead time, which is a tremendous blessing right now if things are getting dicey and things are maybe going to start slowing down. I'm not expecting them to. I'm just preparing that in the event that it does, we're ready. So we've got this lead time. Well, the fact is, what I am quoting today is going to close next month and be scheduled for the following month. So quote volume at the retail level from our experience is at least a one and oftentimes a two month leading indicator. So we are watching very closely what is our quote volume doing because that is a reflection of consumer confidence. It's a reflection of consumer interest in the product. And if we begin to see that our quote volume is beginning to level off or sag, decline, soften, you know what? That's an indication we got to start getting ready because lower quote volume means lower sales unless you increase you know, your close ratio. So that's the second thing that we're looking at. What is our close ratio? Are we closing enough business? Last week in our business, at least here in Oregon, quote volume was steady and we closed a couple of big jobs at the end of the week, even had walk-in traffic on Saturday in the showroom. So at the moment, see things seem relatively stable but we're watching our quote volume because it is that canary in the coal mine it is the leading indicator so ladies and gentlemen you got to be watching that do you have any historical data to compare that to if you haven't listened to episode 74 go back and listen to it so you can kind of digest the principle there of, of having that comparison previous periods to kind of have a gauge is this up is it down is it flat if it's declining, looking at last week, what is it doing this week? I think this week's actually going to be the true test, the true barometer. So here's another thought, another leading indicator. I've made two phone calls today. Our two largest contractors, they're remodeling contractors that do very high-end work, and we typically have to work on the schedule for them sometimes two, three, four, five months in advance as they put these big projects on their schedules. We get the schedule and we put it on our schedule. And so I called the owner of both of those companies, and I asked them two questions. Number one, 
Have you had any cancellations? Are you seeing your clients pulling back, canceling contracts, backing out of agreements that you've got? Number two, are you seeing any change in your quote volume and the sales that you're closing and the schedules, you know, the, the, the jobs that are being scheduled? And so with our retail work, we're seeing that in quote volume and closed sales. With our contractors, I'm making phone calls and just asking. Like, hey, if any of the, the first guy I talked to, he's our largest contractor. He said, uh, I asked him these questions and he said, hey, by the way, if anything changes on your end, I'd like to know too. And so this is a mutual, mutually beneficial practice here to be looking down the road, that canary in the coal mine, anticipating any changes that are going to be reflected down the road today so that we can have a heightened sense of awareness and, and make the adjustments that are necessary. So here's the, here's the third thing, third step, essential step. We have to conserve cash. Cash is king. Deposits slow down. Balance is being you know, not paid. Is going gonna, is gonna, to gonna hit really quick. This contractor actually told me, he said, coming out of winter, people's cash flow is already tight. He said, Aaron, it's probably going to get tighter. Whether that's true or not, I'm not an economist. I'm a fabricator. Makes sense to me, but I know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know, ladies and gentlemen, conserving cash is absolutely essential. It's critical. It's the lifeblood. It is the blood pumping through the veins of our business that allow us to continue operation. Unless, of course, the landlord doesn't mind if you don't pay the rent. Unless you've got employees who don't need their paychecks. And unless you've got slab suppliers who are ambivalent to whether or not they get paid. Cash is king. It's what keeps our companies going. So here are three thoughts about conserving cash the next 30, 60 days. Number one, you got to maintain a profitable operation. You have to be generating enough dollars every month that are in excess of the expenses that you're going to have so that you have a profit at the end of the month. It translates into additional cash resources when you bill for those jobs and you collect on them. Couple of other episode references. Episode number 72, the 3D view, talking about the daily dollar demand. If you have that insight, if you go back to episode 12, I think we called it scheduling dollars instead of square feet. We talk about this concept of the daily dollar demand, the 3D view putting enough dollars on the schedule so that you can then control your cost to come in underneath those dollars and produce a profit at the end of the month. We've got to be profitable. We cannot conserve cash and be not profitable. They're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist. Another reference I'll make to you, episode 73, when we interviewed Jeffrey Grant, he talked about the practice of upselling. He called it hot sauce. Adding dollars to jobs is the fastest way to grow revenue and grow profits. It's the easiest way to grow revenue and grow profits. So if you want some thoughts on that and what you can do today, literally things you can do today, services you can provide, products you can sell to increase the dollars on the jobs that you've already got on the calendar. You don't have to do more work. You just have to increase the number of dollars that you're generating on the jobs you've already got on the schedule. Huge opportunity there. Episode 73, interview with Jeffrey Grant. So number one, in terms of conserving cash, it's a profitable operation. Number two, it's collections. If my contractor friend is right, People start tightening the belt. They start maybe delaying when they're going to pay. You know what? I better hold on to this cash. You know, I'm going to short pay. I'm going to maybe delay the payment. It's likely that things are going to get a little bit tighter. It makes perfect logical sense. So let's talk about collections. You can't collect if the job's not done. So number one, operational excellence. You got to get your teams together. You got to talk about it. You got to get stuff done right. You got to get it done the first time and you got to get it done so that you can collect on it. The faster you complete those jobs, the faster you can send the bill, and the faster you can get on the phone, which is our next principle here on collections, you can get on the phone and ask the question, when can I expect that check? That was the other question I asked my contractor friend. Just curious, 
Checks are due on the 10th. It's the 16th. Haven't seen a check. Any idea when that check's going to show up? We got to have this conversation. Kind of awkward. Very, very necessary. So number one, finishing jobs on time. Number two, getting on the phone, asking. So the squeaky wheel gets the greased. The first vendors that call are going to be the first vendors that get paid, possibly. Do you want to be at the top of the list when you're, you know... When, when your customer's got the cash, or do you want to be the last one that calls after it's already spent and he said, I can't afford to spend anymore? First one to call is most likely to get paid. So get on the phone and start asking. If you got overdue bills, get on it. So number four, you cannot avoid this awkward conversation. That's the tendency. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to upset him. If he could pay me, I'm sure he would. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be rude. <laughs> you don't have to insult. But you do have to do everything you can do to get that cash. If you've you've completed jobs, that's your money. If bills haven't been paid, you collect it. And here's another thought. Here's another activity you can make. For people that may not have the cash, you can offer to take a credit card. Yes, you're going to take a 3% hit. But I would rather take the 3% hit and get the cash today than delayed by 30 days. That's cheap money. That's a minimal expense to get cash into my hand right away. So there are five, five tips on collections. Now, other sources of cash as it relates to this conserving cash principle, this step that we've got to take. Here's a thought. If you're not profitable, do not borrow money to fund an unprofitable business, okay? If you're profitable but you have customers who aren't paying you and it's creating a cash flow you know, crisis in your business, that's a different story. But if you're not profitable and that is explaining why you don't have cash, borrowing money will not help that. So I would say move back up to point number one, <laughs> getting your operation profitable, getting your expenses in line with your revenues, number one. Then if you've got to access other you know, sources of cash, Anything is, 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 is reasonable. Anything. Start brainstorming. Who do you know? What do you know? What do you got personally? Here's something. I, we just finished building a house. We did a big refi because I, I built the house, had a ton of equity, and I wanted to build a barn and a shop. As soon as we moved this other structure off the property, well, guess what? <laughs> that project is now on hold because that's a ton of money I've got sitting in a personal account that I want to have on hand just in case. I don't want to borrow unnecessarily to fund an unprofitable operation, and I don't want to borrow money to buy things that aren't absolutely essential to the operation of the business. And so just being thoughtful, being creative, thinking outside the box, where can you go to get your hands on cash if it becomes a crisis? I've always heard it said that you know a bank won't lend you money unless you don't need it. I don't know if, if you know even though they've lowered interest rates, if you can go to the bank and say, hey, I need a line of credit to get me through this. Ah, it's be an interesting conversation to have. But just be of the mind to think unconventionally, to think outside the company. What do I got to do to get my hands on cash so that I can continue to fund in the event of some kind of a cash flow crisis? Another thought about this liquidating sunk costs. Do you have old equipment? Do you have old vehicles? Do you have anything that's sitting around that has value that could be sold even at a discount to convert that into cash? If it's a sunk cost, if it's just sitting there, it's taking up space, sell it. Okay, number four, cost reduction plan. This is where this starts to get uncomfortable. It starts to get unpleasant, but the fact is we got to prepare. And again, this is not a, 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 a step to take right now out of the gate. These are plans to consider in the event that these ongoing circumstances get worse and it actually affects consumer confidence and buying is hit and people stop purchasing homes, remodels, and countertops. Having this plan in place is essential. So here's step number four, cost reduction plan. This is a plan to be instituted 
when circumstances require it. So number one, no new expenditures. We had this conversation in the meeting this morning with the crew. <laughs> you know, you got to put fuel in the truck to get to the job site. That's essential. The diamond blades used up. You got to buy another blade. You got to buy pads. You got to get the job done so you can bill for it. But anything outside of that, anything that could be delayed, defer some maintenance. I mentioned, you know, if we need new tires on one of the trucks, it's not raining. It's not snowing right now at the moment. Maybe we delay a week. Maybe we delay a month. Anything that can be delayed, anything non-essential, just put it on hold and make that by approval of the owner or the boss only. Everything else, I told my crew, if you needed to get the job done, I, I trust you to make those decisions. You understand what we're dealing with here. Number two is it relates to the cost reduction plan. If you haven't reviewed your P&L recently, number one, evaluate your P&L. Identify non-essential and non-contracted expenses. Now, again, let me say, identify them, highlight them, write them down. Are there non-essential and non-contracted monthly expenses that we've been incurring up to this point that we can tag and say, you know what, if push comes to shove, that goes, that goes, that goes. Let me, let me stress. This is identifying it on the P&L. Asking questions, what can we change? What can we go without and still maintain the same levels of service? You still maintain the same levels of production and output. Identify those and, and put them on the list and say, if revenues drop, and we got to cut costs, that is at the top of the list. Third principle in cost reduction, lean manufacturing. This is the essence of eliminating waste. We had this conversation this morning. We need to get the teams together and start asking the question. This is just good business anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, we should be asking these questions as it is. But these times uh, bring it to the fore. And so lean manufacturing, where can we eliminate waste to reduce costs so that we're not affecting our output, we're not affecting capacity, but we're still lowering costs, which translates into you know additional profit and cash in the bank, gives us that ability to weather the storm. So two questions we asked the team, what can we eliminate and what can we do better? The guys on the front line, the guys and the gals that are doing the work on a day-to-day -day basis or closest to the work are the best people to answer that question. Me coming out there like a bull in a china shop, cutting that and doing this and changing that, probably not the best way. Invite the crew in. Guys, the business, we got to keep this thing going. What can we do to eliminate waste? Wasted effort, wasted you know, material, mistakes. What can we do better is the next question. How can we make this faster? How can we make it more efficient? How can we do it with fewer steps? And how can we still though, produce the same level of quality at the same capacity that is necessary to keep the business going? So consider lean manufacturing principles in this cost reduction plan. Now, this is the most difficult. This is the one where people get anxious. They get nervous. They get scared. Anybody that's been through the Great Recession knows the layoffs. I think we started the Great Recession with 24 employees at end of 07. I think we bottomed out in 2000 and I don't know, 10, 11, 12, whenever it was, with nine. <laughs> so there were major layoffs. Pay reductions. There were major reductions in staff and actually reductions in compensation. Something I will never do ever again unless it is the absolute most crucial, most critical, most like life or death situation for the company. I will never do that again. Maybe I'll do another episode on that experience, the mistakes I made in responding to the Great Recession. But we got to talk about reducing labor. As I told my crew this morning, this is going to be the absolute last resort. If you look at the first three principles we talked about, 
boosting revenues, conserving cash, and these other cost reductions, hopefully as a team, we can manage the business well enough to that we can emerge from this, whatever it is. Maybe it'll be mild. Maybe it'll be significant. I want to do everything humanly possible within our power to avoid laying off staff. Last resort. So coming back, here's three thoughts on labor and reducing labor if you have to. Number one, the 3D view. Your 3D view, how many dollars are you generating? How many dollars are on the schedule next week? And you got to ask this question. Do we have enough dollars on the calendar to support the labor expense that we currently have? It's a simple question. You either do or you don't. Again, go back and listen to episode 12, scheduling dollars, not square feet, if you want to implement that in the business and take that view of things. If you don't have the cash on the calendar to support all of your expenses, your fixed expenses, and your labor, you got to be ready to reduce your labor expense. So number two, here's a way to look at that. High cost is also the highest productivity. Most likely, or at least possibly, the people that you're paying the most are also your most productive. They're the most key. They're the most essential to the business. So this is a double-edged sword. This is a very difficult, the people that you're paying the least are the people that probably have the, you know, the most limited impact on production, but they also have the most limited effect on the P&L. It's a, it's a minor reduction. You got someone making 30 bucks an hour. You got somebody making 20 bucks an hour. And you got somebody making 13 bucks an hour. Contemplating, maximizing, I got to get the highest cost reduction with the lowest effect on output, on capacity. And that's something you got to evaluate. It's different for every business. It's different for every position. You got to look at the compensation. And you got to look what that, that position contributes to the overall output. There are oftentimes positions in the company that don't contribute to output. They contribute to admin. They contribute to you know management, but they're not actually engaged in selling, templating, fabricating, and installing the countertop. And so those are these tough, super gut-wrenching decisions that have to be considered. And here's a way to consider it. That intersection between cost reduction and productivity. Number three, in this last resort labor reduction topic, this step that you have to consider. Again, these are plans, not steps to take until you deem it necessary in the business. You just want to be ready. Now you got to identify those labor cuts and you've got to establish the timing. So you got to prioritize first, second, third. If it comes to this, what's the plan? And then the second point of this is what's the trigger? At what point do you pull the trigger on these most gut-wrenching and difficult decisions if it comes to that? And it may not. Like I told the crew this morning, it's possible that there's going to be an impact. We're going to feel it. But we may sail right on through this. And I'm not trying to be the sky is falling. What I'm simply trying to do is be ready to be prepared. I don't want to be caught off guard if things do take a turn for the worse and we have to make those gut-wrenching decisions. So number five. Remember, we don't want to underreact and we also don't want to overreact. And so here is just a principle. This is the step to consider. Don't be rash. Don't be reckless. Don't flail around making decisions without a lot of thought, a lot of care, a lot of conversation, a lot of invitation of input from your team and quite frankly from others outside of your company. I'm meeting with my advisor, with my business coach tomorrow morning, nine o'clock. We're going to talk about some of this stuff from his perspective. He's got clients all over the country. I want to know what's going on. I need perspective. And so here's just a couple of thoughts on not being rash and reckless. One of my favorite Proverbs in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, wise sayings. It's Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So there's two sides of this. Those that plan, those that are thoughtful, those that are considering what's going on and are making plans 
in the event that things go sideways, are going to profit. But those that are hasty, those that make rash decisions, might wind up shooting themselves in the foot unnecessarily. And so we want to be composed. We want to be clear-minded in our thinking and in the decisions that we're making. And so these are contingencies. Remember, we're identifying things that we may have to do in the event that things don't improve or in the event that things get worse. These are contingencies. We simply want to have a heightened level of awareness. We're in different times. Things are different today than they were last week, and we have to take that into consideration. That has got to factor in in terms of our observations of what's going on and how we're going to respond. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be prudent. Leaders must take a higher calling. They must take a higher sense of responsibility. We must, ha- we must adopt this frame of mind that says, I've got to be looking down the road, not just for myself, but for everybody around me. And we've got to be ready. So in the event that things do take an unexpected turn, we're not caught off guard by it. So don't be rash and reckless. Plan and don't be hasty. So number six, this is just a recommendation from Aaron Crowley, not necessarily so related to your business. We got to keep in mind what's really important. The interesting things about events like this, it tends to put things into perspective. Uh, on one hand, it tends to shake people. On one hand, it tends to uh, strip away all the illusions of security that we uh, comfort ourselves with, or sometimes we become completely oblivious to just how raw and real the world is and how few safeguards there really are when push comes to shove. And so in those times, we got to reflect. It's a great opportunity to contemplate what is really, really important. Countertops well, nice, and why they provide a living and they allow us to have a career and a business and maybe a retirement someday. They're just countertops. <laughs> They're not that important to the world. But you know what is important? Do you know what's more important than anything else on this earth? Our spouses and significant others, our children, our extended families, our friends, our neighbors. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, yeah, business is a big deal, but there is more to life than making countertops. We got to keep in mind what's really important outside the fab shop, outside of these pursuits that we have undertaken trying to build a business and and a future for ourselves. We got to remember what's important. So man, Keep that in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to stand tall. This is such a huge opportunity to transform the way that you lead the company. This may be a brand new day in your business and in your career as you realize the opportunity for you to step into that role and lead your company. So, fellow fabricators, you can do this. I absolutely believe you are up to the task. I absolutely believe. And I know that if you rise to this challenge... If you act, if you plan, if you prepare, you are going to successfully lead your company through whatever is coming down the pike for us today, this week, next month, next year. So take this as a tremendous encouragement. I'm not going to wish you happy fabricating, ladies and gentlemen. The the circumstances don't seem to warrant that. I'm simply going to say, stand tall and lead well. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.